Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hey there. Today, we're chatting with two of the co-founders of Jeweler, Natalie Whitmore and Richard Crow. It's a great conversation looking at what it takes to run a retail jewelry establishment and the software that it takes to do that. Natalie and Richard share a little bit about the legacy competition that they compete with in that space. They talk about the product that they're building, their product roadmap, spend a lot of time on the beta that they're running right now, both how they structured it, how they got those early beta customers, how they plan on converting those beta customers to launch, Talk a little bit about their launch plans in June in Vegas, and we spend a lot of time just looking at what it's taken to get this business off the ground and some of the early sacrifices that they've made. Check them out at jeweler.co, J-E-W-E-L-R.co, and thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have two of the four co-founders of Jeweler. We have Natalie Whitmore and Richard Crow. Natalie, Richard, welcome. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Jeweler? Yeah, so Jeweler is an all-encompassing software solution built specifically for the jewelry industry. Let's go one layer deeper than that. If I was a jeweler and I was using jeweler, what would my user experience be? What are the types of things that I'm doing? So we basically manage inventory, CRM, point of sale, basically everything the store needs to run as a whole is what jeweler provides. Got it. Current status of the company, um, any vanity metrics you can share, um, size of the team, revenue, funding, anything at all you're open to sharing with so folks know where you're at on the journey? Yeah. So right now we're working on building out our MVP. So we are probably about, what, 50% through that. We plan on finishing out our, um, I guess, MVP product at March of 2020. And then we'll start beta testing and then the full product should be available June of tw- or 2021. Sorry. I forget it's a new year. So yeah. it's saying 2020. <laughs> Wait, it's just because you want to do over on 2020 and March is about the same, t- the right time frame to do a do over. So I, right. I do not want to do over of 2020. <laughs> I, <laughs> I like to move on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How did you guys get started with Jeweler? Where'd the idea come from? How'd the four co-founders meet up? Walk me through that story. Right. So I started out in the jewelry industry, um, probably about seven to 10 years ago. And I started in wholesale. And one of the first things I noticed is that when my computer died and I lost everything, I went to go get a new computer and they said, absolutely not. Like our software doesn't run on new computers. You have to go on eBay and find something that runs on like eight or 16 bits, something ridiculous. Oh, that's magical. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was not magical for me because the computer I ended up getting ran even slower, making me less efficient. Then I moved to retail and found the same exact thing. Like all of the software solutions that retail jewelers used were very outdated. I mean, it was literally like playing Minesweeper. Have you ever played that game? I have played Minesweeper. Yeah. It's just as frustrating too. It was just god awful. When I went to another retail place, they were using seven to eight different platforms just to run their store. They were all modern, but I literally had to log in to seven different things to complete one transaction. It was very frustrating. So I went over to software and this is where I met the co-founders, Sean, Steven, and Richard. And Richard, I'll let you take over the story from there. Yeah. So basically, we work in a software company today. So we are full-time there and full-time with Jeweler. And I had... um, Wait, that's two full-times. That math doesn't work. It does does for us. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I use the... How my story is, is I have a background in music business. And I was developing software for independent musicians on tour. And so I actually met with Ken Miller uh, when he was with Developer Town and talked with him a couple of times about, you know, what what I'm trying to do and whatnot. And unfortunately, uh, you know, that that project pretty much came came to a halt after a a little bit. Then Natalie kind of got wind of, you know, my background of, you know, developing this type of software and business in general. And she's like, hey, I have this idea. Would you like to hear about it? So I said, yeah, sure. And she kind of, you know, pitched me and um, I did a, l- a little bit of research on on just on my time. And Mike, to tell you that this, this specific industry is so archaic, I go, we have to do it. There, there's no other way to get around it. There, there's, there's such a need for this type of technology because it's been completely uh, ignored by the technology tech industry in together uh, for you know a couple decades now. And so I go, well, let's do it. And uh, me and her started to do the research, you know, the, the high end, you know, business stuff. Um, and then a friend of the old partner that I, I had with my, my uh, independent music app uh, referred us to our CIO, Sean. And then he referred us to Steven, who are, who is our CTO developer. Mm-hmm. And those two have been great. And that's pretty much all four of us. And so we've been building this thing for about a little over a year and a half now. So walk me through, a- after that wonderful look at the, at the early competition, walk me through competition today. So when you guys go out and sell on the market in June of this year, who are you going to be selling against when when you think of the biggest competitors for this product? Who are they? And you, it and it, and it's maybe less about naming specific companies that that's not necessarily the goal here. Versus, is it still is there still literally nobody who even has a contemporary look and feel? Are you still selling against either a legacy system that barely runs, or you know, are you going into a company that's got seven point solutions and trying to move them all to one? Walk me through what you think that's going to look like. So our biggest competitor is actually one of the ones that's really outdated, but it works really well for jewelers. The problem is, is that it's very, very hard to navigate. It's not user-friendly at all. So that's the biggest one we're going up against. Um, The ones that are up to date and like user-friendly, they're not made specifically for the jewelry industry. So they're missing a lot of key components that jewelers actually need to run their business. For example, 
diamond and gold pricing, that's constantly changing, which is constantly changing the, you know, how you would quote a repair. So from the start, if you have like, let's say the outdated book that people use for repairs, and it's literally a book that is just, yeah, almost impossible to navigate as well. I wish I could show it to you guys, but I can't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So right then and there, it's outdated. We're going to negate all of that. Um, We have up-to-date gold and diamond pricing and stuff that like jewelers are actually looking for. Yeah. So, the, you know, like Natalie said, the, you know, the biggest com- com- competition that we have, you know, the, to, in order for you to get a general understanding of how the software works, they send you a manual, which is no lie, Mike, a phone book thick of just instructions and details. There's nothing that um, makes this simplistic at all. And not only that, if you want to get additional training on this platform, you have to fly out to their headquarters and and get training, you know, one to two weeks. And that comes out of your pocket directly. There's no, you know, incentive to, you know, learn anything additional about this. So, you know, like she said, it's either archaic software or just a book that dictates pricing, which as soon as you get it in your hand, it's already outdated. And so for an additional, you know, fee, you can get certain pages that you will then have to literally tape into the book. But when you get those pages, those are also outdated by the time you get them. So we're, we're trying to bring this industry into the 21st century and giving them tools that uh, I, I really don't think that anyone in the industry thought of that they could use or have or facilitate in any way, shape or form. Because we when we do bring it to store owners, their minds are literally blown, and they're like, I, "I can't really think right now because my mind is spinning with all the things that I can do with this thing." Right. So that that makes us feel really good that we're on the right track to to give this industry you know, pretty much a, a much needed facelift in the in 2021. Talk to me a, bit, a little bit about pricing because I'm I'm assuming if people are on that more legacy solution they're they're probably not paying SaaS pricing is that correct are they just paying a one-time licensing fee and then they're paying for updates as they as they come out if they choose to go out and get those kind of book updates is am i thinking about that correctly in a way yes um they usually have a data migration fee to start out with which is pretty hefty it's usually around twenty thousand dollars if not more and then they pay a yearly kind of renewal fee, which I think is 20% of what their initial payment was. Oh, so it is recurring fees. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's skewed between different platforms. So you have, you know, industry platform or industry specific platforms, and then you have those general POS systems that, you know, curtail to, you know, jewelry and clothing and what have you underneath the mix. So it's a gambit of, of different types of pricing models. Right. And, and how are you thinking about pricing? So we'll have the generic um, SaaS pricing. We'll, we will have a migration fee because we will have to migrate over a great bit of deal of data. So that starts anywhere from 5000 and can go upwards of 20000 depending on the size of the store. But then we will also charge a subscription fee. So that's $250 for the first two users per month and then an additional $50 per additional user per month. So it's like basically like having a seat. And maybe this doesn't matter for minimum viable product, but I have to assume at some point you're going to 
and, and maybe this is more commonly the rule than the exception, but um, how will that work if I've got multiple stores, multiple locations, if I'm a little bit more of a, like a, a chain? Um, it'll work exactly the same. We'll just add on the number of employees. The migration fees are where it's going to differ a little bit. So based on your store, you're going to pay a certain migration fee. And then another store based on the size, it might be a little bit smaller. You'd pay a smaller migration fee. And that's just a one-time fee just to get your information over. Now, if you want to migrate all your information yourself and manually enter it in, then there's no cost. But yeah, it just depends on what the store owners want. Surely nobody would do that. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, there's still people out there who have everything on paper. Yeah, pen and paper faxes are still a still a thing. Faxes are a huge thing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay. All right. Yeah. And apologies if you hear sirens. We live right by a firehouse. <laughs> I'm sure that's convenient in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's either the fire department, uh, cats, um, lawnmowers. Something you know, happens. Children outside. Yeah, something happens during each and every single call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guarantee. So. Talk to me a little bit as you're setting up for this beta. So I think you guys mentioned, and maybe you said this before we actually started recording, but I think the the goal for the beta is March, correct? Yes. Talk to me a little bit about how you're approaching that, just in terms of selection of who's a good customer. Like, how do you you think of a a good prospect for, for that beta program? What are you doing for them in terms of prepping them for data migration. So I'm, I'm a little bit interested because, you know, a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are also entrepreneurs. So just really, as you step back, how are you guys thinking about, you know, obviously you want this to be successful. You want to learn a lot from an MVP perspective to make sure you're building the right product. You want to run the product through its paces. So just holistically, how are you thinking about, okay, these are the people we need. This is how we're going to structure it. This is how it's going to work. Right. So we actually, and this was Sean Plew's idea, was to have a facets program where we have 20 slots available and it's going to range from different store sizes. So we want the stores, the little mom and pops that have one or two employees to maybe say a, like a Reese Nichols or a Moyers, the more, you know, well-known larger stores of the area to um, be also part of that, that pilot program. And we offer a few discounts. I'm not going to say them out loud right now, but um, yeah. That's how we're uh, we're doing our program, and that gives us a little bit more information from uh, you know holistics perspective because our target market is uh, stores that have fifteen to thirty employees per store. Mm-hmm. So if we want to target or anybody is welcome for the fastest program because we're going to learn information regardless, right? So if we get those stores that have you know two to three employees per store. Uh, all the way up, like Natalie said, that gives us a really good range of not only what we think that what these individuals and these stores need, but they're going to allow us to explore what they need and say, hey, you know, th- this you know aspect of the software is really great, but here's what we really want to see. And we've done uh, some marketing before the holidays, and we were inundated with individual store owners who were saying, hey, I want to actually migrate next week is that possible but throughout that marketing campaign we saw a couple of things that we saw that it was it determined whether they wanted it or they were willing to wait for it so that was a lot of integrations with e-commerce platforms right which we really we knew that we probably needed to integrate at some point in time 
But having that feedback almost instantaneously showed us that these are the things that these customers really, really need to have in order for us to be successful in launching this this pilot program. So that was um, that was a really good insight that we had. Right, and to get back to the whole, um, I guess the migration thing, and you know, getting those beta testers. The most important thing that we're looking for is actually getting stores that will have data migration. Because we're building in, um, I guess, smart solutions to say, let's say if they have a bunch of rings, right? And they are all like labeled 14 karat YG, which is 14 karat yellow gold, or they physically write out 14 KYG. Like there's several different ways to write out the same information. Data migration is kind of the biggest the biggest thing that we need the information on because we need to figure out how they store their current data and how we can most efficiently transfer it over into our platform and make it more um, cost-effective on our end to do so. Got it. You had mentioned running, I think, Richard, you had mentioned running a marketing test before, you know, before the new year. Talk to me a little bit about that. What What was the goal? How did you structure it? Um, and I'm assuming it was to, the idea was to to try to find some of those early beta customers. What 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 did you end up doing there? Well, if you don't mind, I'll I'll take over this question because yeah. kind of the marketer here. Our goal wasn't really to get customers at all. Like we took the opposite goal, which was to help our customers. So the the marketing campaign that we ran was really interesting because we decided that we would market them instead of us. So what we did is on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page, is we took some of their best photos from Instagram and said, hey, check these guys out. It's the holidays, you know, support local. And we just advertised for them. And we got a huge response from that. Um, A lot of stores signed up to be a part of that. They like sent us all their information. Like, yes, we want to be a part of it. And then in turn, they like started to check us out too, which got us a lot of attention which was great. We got at least what 10 customers in a week because of it. And we had five sign up for the fastest program in, in one day. Right. Um, which is, is huge. And we have over 800 followers within the first couple of weeks of starting that campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, 90, wow. 90 likes on Facebook. So it was, it was one of those things where we weren't really, I guess, prepared to get that in, that amount of influx in that shorter period of time without having a product ready to go. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, we have to dial back a little bit, but we have kept in contact with the people who have signed up and, you know, here's the information that we need from you guys. And so with the holidays over, the holidays are the busiest season for jewelry um, retail stores alone. And so for the industry in a whole. So right now we're just getting back on the the saddle and and contacting and reaching out and and getting all those things uh, up and going. All right, Natalie, Richard, the most important question I'm going to ask you today, what kind of swag do you have for Jeweler? We have Yeti cups and we have t-shirts and yeah, I mean, we're always looking for a great new swag. What do you suggest? You're already 
wait, wait, that's like one of the best answers I've had so far in this podcast. And you're, you're still super, you haven't even done your beta yet. How could you have such a strong swag game? <laughs> we just do. She she loves marketing, but she also hates it. I, I have no understanding of how, how it works with her, but yeah, she loves it. <laughs> well, uh, so I'll tell you a couple of interesting answers that we've gotten over the to this over the last year. Socks, apparently, are a big thing in the swag game, like to, to send uh, customers uh, jeweler socks would be uh, like put your logo in a in an interesting pattern or something on the socks would be an interesting one. Interesting. Actually, this one will think this is the episode that goes live just before this one. Um, Devin from Connected, they have some interesting internal swag things that they use for their sales team. Where as you sell so much in total com- combined revenue for the company, you unlock new levels of t-shirts internally. So like. I, I'm going to butcher this. I can't quite remember, but like, you know, <laughs> your first sale is a red t-shirt uh, signi- signifying first blood. Your second <laughs> t-shirt is like some other color that I can't remember. And it's a, a half a million in total sales. Then they have a gold t-shirt at a million dollars in total sales. It, but it was to me, the thing that was really interesting about that was just thinking about like as a, as a signal to the rest of the team and as a, as a, as an internal reward and motivational thing, like what are some interesting ways to use swag? I, I really like that answer. Um, cause it, it got me to think about it in that way, which I'd not previously thought of. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So th- those would be my answers if you wanted to continue to push things, but man, Yetis are strong. T-shirts are good. I'm a hoodie guy myself, but T-shirts are good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Yetis were a strong, a strong, uh, favor. Yeah, favorite for for everybody. We shot ourselves in the foot though because every time that we you know we're on a meeting or a Zoom call and we have our our jeweler Yetis, everyone's like, "Ooh, I want one of those," and they are not cheap. <laughs> they are not cheap. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you need swag for your startup, you can reach out to the folks at Fuel Merchandise. It's fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors and get ten dollars off your first order. Awesome. Thanks. Great. Talk to me a little bit about what the next couple of years look like from your perspective. If I was to ask, what does Jeweler look like three years from now? What would your answer be? Yeah, so we have a lot of things in addition to our MVP that we're working on. The MVP is just basically the bare bones that every store needs to get stuff done. But we're adding on a really cool, innovative um, thing for Jewelers, which is called Bench Jeweler. And it's where it walks a user step-by-step through a repair to get more accurate quotes. Right now, the average store loses anywhere from, I'd say, fifty dollars to $250,000 a year in repair misquotes alone. So we're really looking to minimize that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that we're planning on doing is Jeweler Marketplace, which is where jewelry stores, wholesalers, and manufacturers can all sell to each other. Right now, they pretty much sell to each other through Facebook or like different little things like that. And it's really unsafe. Like anyone can just pretend to be a jewelry store and scam them there. But the only people who would have access to Jeweler Marketplace are actual jewelers. So it kind of mitigates risk, at least for them on that end. So it's kind of like eBay for jewelers. Yeah. And we're also trying to approach it as a, a training tool as well, because mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, you have you know inexperienced salespeople, which coincides with that that huge repair loss. So you have one guy who's selling mattresses yesterday, and I'm going to sell try to sell twenty thousand dollar diamonds today. 
So we need to have a balance of, you know, if a store owner comes in, he has a new salesperson, they don't know the ropes of the of the industry, which I mean, it takes a, a while to, to learn. At least two to three years. You can put in certain parameters and training questions in order for them to get the most accurate pricing available, regardless if it's a new sale, repair, and and whatnot. So we look at it as, you know, not only just a, you know, sales platform, inventory um, software, but also a training software as well. Right. And to further expand on, I guess, where we're going, we are starting out with the United States, but we also plan to expand worldwide eventually. So hopefully in the next three years, we will start to add on potentially Canada and maybe a little bit of Europe. But yeah, I mean, this is a worldwide need. There's not anyone else out there that we've found yet that really provides the need. Right. And fun fact, two two of the people who signed up for the fastest program are from Canada. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. (laughs) (laughs) So you have a second currency out of the gate. Right. Exactly. (laughs) How big is this market? The U.S. market has 166,000 retail stores currently, or at least when we did the research last year, it did. I'm assuming, based on the pandemic, that some stores have closed their doors. However, the stores that remain have only become stronger through the pandemic. So they've had record numbers this year, which is really surprising to hear, but it's great to know for at least the customers that are coming on knowing that they're like really strong in their community yep. to make it through anything. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Any idea what's driving those record sales numbers? Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people had to let go a lot of their extra staff. So um, that was part of it. So they were running on a leaner team. And then the stores that did close their doors, like those customers that went there had to go somewhere else. So they had an influx of customers and a leaner sales staff, which meant greater sales numbers. Got it. That makes sense. At what point do you think a more modern competitor emerges as you go down this path? Gosh, Um, I mean, it could happen literally at any time. And we expect that, you know, we don't expect to be the only player in this game ever. And we, you know, plan on succeeding by listening to what our customer actually wants and needs. And just delivering great customer service and being there, you know, during the times that they need us the most and not on vacation during the holidays, like a lot of our competitors do. They'll just shut down and um, not be around and a customer will call on Christmas Eve and they'll just get nothing. So what, what I like to always say too, Mike, is that, you know, from an executive perspective, I always want to put ourselves out of business first before somebody else. So that means, you know, let's think about innovation, let's, you know, forward thinking, you know, type of uh, ideal concepts, right? So if, you know, there's a competitor out there, what can we do to offset that challenge? Is there something that we can do better as far as technology is concerned? Is it something that, you know, customer support that we can do better? Just thinking on the level of, you know, putting ourselves out of business first before anyone else has a chance to, can always be beneficial as far as uh, organizations concerned, in my in my opinion. I like it. I like the mentality. And Natalie, I really like what you were saying around customer support, particularly around the holidays. I, it's a I I grew up in retail. My dad um, still owns a kind of a small town five and dime 
store and yeah, it's uh what if you didn't grow up in retail or have never worked in it, you have no idea what what that's like around the holidays for oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what's next in the uh, immediate timeline horizon. So you've got beta testing coming up. Any anything else going on that that you guys would like to share? Uh, we do plan on going to JCK Las Vegas, which is the largest jewelry convention in the world. And that's in June of 2021. And that's where we plan to kind of do our full launch. So if you are there, look for us. I don't know if any jewelry stores listen to this podcast, but if yeah. you even have it in, in, in person this year. I, I'm right, skeptic right. there are jewelry stores who listen to this podcast, but if there are, that could be cool. Yeah, it'd be great. Hello. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the biggest thing that's coming up. We're just super excited about getting it launched and yeah, getting customers in there and breaking everything. (laughs) Or trying to at least. Right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, if folks would like to get in touch with either of you or to learn more about Jeweler, what's the best way for them to do that right now? Shoot us an email. You can, um, get us at natalie at jeweler.co or richard at jeweler.co. Spell it for the kids. Oh, yes. The spelling is super important. So we go by J-E-W-E-L-R.co. Dot .co. Or dot check co. us out on the, the website. Yep. Jeweler.co as well. Sign up if you're interested in you know contacting us as well. We got our information on there. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.